Good morning, Center Church. It's so great to be with you. I can't believe it's February already and we are here. And yes, typically February is seen as a month of love, love and isolation, I guess, these days. But it's so great to see you, church family, online. Uh, I want to shout out a few people. It's so great to see you, Quandra and Casey, in the chat today. So great that you're with us. Ella, Jenna, uh, Crystal, John, so great to see you all in the chat today. The Patros, great to be here with you this morning. And my prayer really, as it is every week, is that you would be encouraged today, that you would know that even though we're in isolation, even though that there is distance between us, we don't have to stay separated. And so it's so great to see you at Church Online today. And I'm excited to start a brand new series called Love Today. Believe it or not, it is uh, it is the first time I'm going to be unpacking some of these ideas at Center Church. I know I always try to bring something new, but when you do six years of talking about love on in February, you know, you got to kind of change it up a bit. But today we're going to be talking about Idea, this idea of love in the topic of this message is what is love? Well, love is ambiguous, isn't it? Uh, people say it and they mean it sometimes and others say it flippantly as a way of, of, of drawing people in or just a word that we use like God. People just use it flippantly. Love has been a word uh, some long for and others retract from because of its usage. Others use it as justification and some use it as motivation. That's good. Some experience it and others long for it. But what is love? Like what are we talking about when we talk about love? You see, when we talk about love and even particular as we talk about God is love, there's still some ambiguity there. And when we talk about it within the context of God is love, many people still, when they hear that, they're like, but what does that mean, Josh? On a practical level, what does God is love mean? Some people see that as weakness. God is love is weak. Some see it as his strength. But what is it that God and what is it that the people that wrote the Bible, those authors throughout the scriptures, what is it that they're trying to tell us about what God's love is? Now, there's a, well-known, uh, there's a well-known author. He wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. His name is C.S. Lewis, but he was also a theologian. He had a radio show, and he spent a lot of, of years uh, pushing against what the church had to offer and, and, and eventually came to, uh, became a Christian in, in his adult life. And he unpacks this idea of love in the four loves that he wrote in his book. And this is what he talks about when he talks about love. He unpacks them into four different categories. And the first one, when he says, when he's talking about love, the first category he talks about, the first kind of love is eros. It's a kind of like romantic love where two lovers are hungry for each other. Ooh. You know, and usually when we think about February, like that's, that's what we see, right? In all these TV shows, it's like, oh, just so hungry for love, right? It's just this, it's this, it's this overflowing draw, drawing in towards one another, right? And it's this kind of infatuation. Well, that's the Eros love that C.S. Lewis unpacks. But then there's this other one, it's uh, Philios, and it's a friendship kind of love, Right, where two people are linked arm in arm, they're shoulder to shoulder with common vision and a common goal and a common delight and a partnership pulling each other together towards a future goal. 
Now, some people in the Old Testament confuse two characters, David and Jonathan. They confuse that love. They have talked about it as a certain eros love, but it's a filios love. It's this deep, it's this deep passion for friendship, this, this journeying together, and that's filios. Well, the, the third kind of love that C.S. Lewis unpacks in his book, The Four Loves, is storage. Now, the other two came off the tongue a little bit easier. Storage is a little hardcore, you know? But it's an affection for something old. Like that old sweater you got in university. It's like, oh, I just love this sweater. Looks so good on me. Usually university sweaters don't. You know what I'm talking about? They're just big and they're, you know, you know what I'm talking about. And they got some big logo on the front. Right? But we have an affection for it because it was a time of our life where like, oh, I remember university. Yeah, that was so great. Right? And, and storage is also, it could be that old dog or that old memory. Oh, I love that thing because of that memory I have attached to it, that affection attached to it. And that's the third kind of love that, we, that he unpacks. And the fourth is this. It's the word agape. And this is the divine love that is characterized by sacrifice in pursuit of another person's good. Let me say that again. Agape love is a divine love that is characterized by sacrifice in the pursuit of another person's good. And even in these four definitions, it's like, okay, I kind of understand what's going on there. And we're going to unpack the word agape in the next four weeks because I believe as we experience the love of God, as we experience the overflowing agape love, then we, out of that overflowing love, are able to demonstrate that and show that to the world around us. But for many reasons, the word love has been ambiguous because as I talked about those four different definitions, you're like, okay, so which one is it? Now, there's another guy. His name's Jonathan Edwards. And he, he brings it down. He, he, he brings it and unpacks it and makes it even more simple. And so these are, the t- these are the two definitions that I want to use and is an, in another way of us looking at the idea of love. And Jonathan Edwards talks about the love of complacency and the love of benevolence. Now let's talk about the love of complacency. Now when you hear that, you're like complacent, right? Because we only understand one word, one way of defining this word. But the word complacency is like, I love pizza, Right? Well, I love that which brings me pleasure, right? I love pizza. I love those TV shows. I, I, love, I love going to Starbucks, right? I don't know if I'm allowed to call out one specific, uh, Tim Hortons for those of you that don't want to be offended. I love the Buccaneers, right? I, I don't, I'm not an NFL guy, but I will probably watch a game today, right? It's just love because of what it gives to us. A love of complacency it's what we receive, what gives us pleasure. And then John Edwards, when he talks about the love of complacency, he talks about the creation around us, right? The beauty of nature or how we love our spouse because of what they input into our life. The love of pizza, the love of art, the love of kids, of music. It's what brings us pleasure. It's what brings us self-satisfaction. Satisfaction. What am I talking about? Whew. I got that out though. I enjoy, therefore I respond. It takes minimal effort on our part with complacent love. We just get to enjoy it. And so this is, these are the two definitions that we're going to be running with. The one is the love of complacency, what we receive and we enjoy, and it's not bad. 
It's good to enjoy things, right? Life can be enjoyable. And on the other hand is the love of benevolence. It's not based on loveliness. You see, the love of complacency is based on the pleasure that we, 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 we receive because of what we enjoy. We, we receive that love. It's so enjoyable, right? But benevolence is not based on loveliness, but rather of goodwill. This is to bring about something beautiful, not just respond to its beauty. This is, when we see this, the Latin prefix, uh, when we see benevolence, bene, it means well or good and is rooted in the word will. When we read in the Christmas story, I know you're like, well, Josh, it's February. Christmas was two months ago, right? When we read the story of Jesus's birth in Luke 2, verse 8 to 14, it says that Jesus comes to bring goodwill to men and to women, goodwill towards men. And God's love to us is not that he responds to the beauty in us or responds to our goodness, but he responds purely out of his goodwill. This is his agape love. This is the costly kind of love because there is no response because of beauty or because we've done anything. It's just, it's just God saying, I love my creation enough that I want to see good happen in their life. This is a costly love, a love that sees the ugly, imperfect or selfish and still wants to bring about something beautiful. This is the agape love, the love that Jesus has given to us. We read about this in Romans 5. Romans was written by a man named Paul to the church of Rome. Romans, you got that, right? And it's written to this this church. And Paul writes to this church to encourage them. But this, this letter is one of the most theologically rich letters in the New Testament. There's so much to unpack in this letter. You could spend a lifetime trying to figure out what's happening in this, uh, just uh, uh, not happening, but what's just unpacking this letter. And in Romans 5, 6 through 8, this is what we read. As Paul is writing to this church of Rome, he says this, you see, at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let me talk about a word there. The word powerless. When we have no power to make things right again, when we have no power to extend the forgiveness that we need to extend to others, We have no power to overcome those impulses in our life. When we don't have power to overcome our sin, when we're totally not able to do the things that we're supposed to do, in all of that messiness, Christ died for you and Christ died for me. Not for the righteous, as we read here, but for the ungodly, the unrighteous. If someone does good to them, They may die for that person. That's what Paul's saying here. The righteous, well, do they need somebody to die? They've they've already got it all figured out, right? It's for the ones that are messed up. It's the ones that don't get it right all the time. Anybody in that camp? 
the mess ups, the screw ups, the not enoughs, the ones that, oh, I need to be better at loving. I, I need to be more gracious. I, I need to know more of my Bible. And those things might be true. But what produces those things in our life? What produces those things in our life is not all the good that we conjure up in ourselves. It's experiencing that radical love that God displays towards us. But what does God do to display his love? And where is our hope in the future grounded? Is it just in our good works? Is it just in what we accomplish in our day-to-day? Is it obtaining power? Is it attaining prominence? Is it making sure that we make a great name for ourselves? Is that where God displays his love? And is that where our future hope is grounded? It's in Jesus. God displays his love for us through Jesus. And God's love is not and never will be dependent on your goodness. Only on his good will for you and for me. God's love is not and will never be dependent on your goodness. Only his good will for you. The reason our hope will never let us down is not because we're going to be perfect. It's not because we have all the right answers. It's not because we crushed our week and got every single goal knocked off the list. It's not because we we gave our whole life away. And those are all good things. But our hope is not grounded in ourself. Our hope is grounded in the person of Jesus and the love of God. His love will never give up on us us. And all that God has done for us supersedes all that we've ever done or could do for God. It's not because we're beautiful. It's not because we're all put together. It's not because we all got it right. It's because of his agape love. It's because of his benevolent love. It's because he wants good for our lives. And that is the good news of Jesus. Have you ever tried to buy something for somebody that has everything? Have you ever done that? I have, you know, a few people in my life that when it's their birthday, I stress out because I'm like, oh man, what do you buy somebody that just has a lot, right? It's hard, right? You write a good card, say thank you, right? That's meaningful. Words are powerful. But when somebody has everything, you can do very little for them. Now, I want you to think about this in the context of God. God has everything that he needs. God doesn't doesn't need us. God doesn't need our worship. God doesn't need, need everything from us. But God wants something for you. God has everything. But God wants something for your life. And God wants good for your life. It's not that he needs you to do a whole bunch of things. It's that he wants good for you. When it comes even to something like worship, when we sing on a weekend or when we sing in our homes, does God need our worship? No. But God knows that as we worship, that it produces something in our life. It produces gratitude. That it, that it produces a connection with him. That it brings about good in us. And God is for our goodwill. Not because we're beautiful, not because we have it all together, but because he is 
good. God needs nothing, nothing from you. God needs nothing from me. However, he does want something for you. And this is why as a church, I have said this over and over and over again, that we as a church, if you're here watching for the first time online, or whether you've been on the journey with us for six years, <laughs> that we are not here to get something from our community. We're not here to get something from our world, but we are here for our community, for our world, and for each other. Why? Because that displays God's love to the world around us. But we got to understand something. This comes from the overflow in our own life. This comes from the experience of God's love in our own life. And although God is not here to get anything from you, he's here for you, you have to know something. Is this love is only produced through a true and genuine personal relationship with God. This isn't manufactured. This isn't an ideology. It's not just reading enough books. Experiencing the overflow of God's love is just that. It's experiencing it. It's not just a head thing. It's experiencing God's love. Yes, using your brain, that's good. But also spending time in prayer. Spending time reminding yourself. Spending time in worship. Spending time in His Word. Spending time in silence and in reflection. Allowing God to speak to you. Allowing God's love to connect with your heart. Allowing God's agape love to penetrate the parts of our life that we feel, hear me church, that we feel can't be loved. That thing that you don't really want to talk about, the part of your life that you think is too ugly or too broken, the part that you say, you know what, that's just, ah, I just, it's just, it's too much for God. He's like, that part too, I want you to experience my agape love there, not because it's beautiful, not because it's perfect, but because I want good for you. So over the next three weeks, we're going to keep unpacking that and allowing God into those areas of our life that we feel like we can't allow him into, or we feel like it's too much and we're too unlovable. It's in those areas of our life, and we all have them, that we need to experience God's love for us. Jesus displays the love of God on the cross with one radical act of benevolent agape love towards humanity, you and I. You have no way to make things right. But God says, I love you so much that I will do this for your good. Jesus' death is a radical reminder of God's love towards humanity. And I will end with this today. That nothing you can do can ever make God love you more. And nothing you can do can ever make God love you any less because God's love is not dependent on you, but on his steadfast and unchanging nature. So as we start this series, it's not about you trying to figure it all out. It's not about you becoming good enough. It's not about you trying to convince God that he should love you. God loves you. He understands all your mistakes, all your blemishes. He understands all those parts of your life that you're like, oh, I don't feel loved in a love series. It's like, why would we talk? There's parts of my life I don't even want to speak about. In no spaces, God loves you. 
And he wants you to know that that doesn't change because of you. Because his love is not dependent on you. It's dependent on him. This is the benevolent agape love of God. Let's pray, church. God, I pray right now that as I've spoken today, this love that's not dependent on us, but is for our good that we would experience it as a church, across homes and in, and in our workplaces. And, and God, as we spend time alone with you, as we think about those parts of our life, maybe the ugly parts, the, the, the parts you'd rather not talk about, God, that we'd experience your steadfast love, your agape love in those areas too. Remind us, Jesus, of, of the gift that you've given us. That through your sacrifice, your death and, death and resurrection, we begin, begin given access to God. We've been given access to the Father. That we can experience your love. I ask, even as I pray right now, that those across the screen would experience your love. Not just as an idea, but as a living, breathing part of their life. That they would rely, not on their own good works, but on your great love. It's not about our goodness, but your goodwill. We thank you for that, God. We thank you. We praise you for that today, God. Amen. And if you're sitting across the camera and you haven't accepted Jesus, and you haven't put him first in your life, and what I mean by that is you haven't chosen to follow Jesus yet, I got good news for you. As we read today in the passage, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We all have an opportunity to respond to that love. And today, as you heard this message, the beauty is that it's not about your goodness, but about God's goodwill for you. And that's in Jesus. That Jesus died and he rose again for our sins, to give us forgiveness, access to God again, and to get an opportunity to be with him in eternity. If you'd like to make that decision today, you can pray this prayer right now, and you can pray across the screen from me. And if that's you today, you can pray this prayer right now with me. You can say, Jesus, thank you for dying and rising again. I ask you to forgive my sin. Lead me and guide me. Thank you that you have saved me. Thank you that your love is for me. Thank you that it's not about my goodness, but your good will for me. Lead and guide me, I pray. Amen.